Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColdSplitation.com, and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? He's having sort of an epileptic fit over there. Um, <laughs> we are back today. Maybe he's having an epileptic fit because we're back after a uh, only one week. Just a week break between shows. Uh, normally we're a bi-weekly podcast now, but we've changed it up a little bit. And uh, we're going to cover... Um, a, a movie today that's timely, and we wanted to get it in for the holiday. Uh, the holiday being Valentine's Day, which, as you know, many people celebrate. Uh, me and you being one of them, because we're celebrating Valentine's Day together. We are going to see Tim and Eric. Who awesome are on show, tour. great job. That's right, they're on tour, and we were, uh, we were willed to go. I mean, they said we must go. And I had. hope it's just an hour and a half of Purple Boys. I hope Steve Rule makes an appearance. That's what I hope. But uh, who knows? All kinds of things could happen. I don't know. Um, but we wanted to get this episode in for Valentine's Day. And we're not doing My Bloody Valentine because we've already done both of those movies. We've done the original My Bloody Valentine and we did the remake as well. And we just have like to go any... back. Those are like the, one of the earliest episodes that we've done. I was going to say, isn't there like a remaster um, new Blu-ray release from there is a new Bay. Blu-ray release of My Bloody Valentine. Um, we should have just done that again. Has the uncut fil- uh, features in there, so uh, many of the uh, elements that were cut from the original release of My Bloody Valentine because they were deemed too violent are in there. Um, they so some of them um, were cut just because um, they were too violent. Some. Um, are not even in the film at all anymore because they were cut like before it actually got to its its original camera negative. So they did what they could to to find those um, those cut scenes. All I know is yes, one it was one of our earlier episodes, and two my Canadian impression made a, made a fan for life. It did. Do you want to do it again or no? We got to watch that episode. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you have to go back to it. I think it was like episode seven and eight were like the two My Bloody Valentines that we did. Did we do them back to back? I don't think. Did we do them back to back? I thought we did. Yeah. I think we, I thought we did them in this. I thought we did them like a year apart. Maybe. I can't remember now. Man. I do know that like My Bloody Valentine, the original, was like one of the first episodes that we did. A movie really, that really. wouldn't be able to come out today because, you know, being a coal miner, very political. Mm. You know, um, yeah. that's true. Be, be trying. It is. See, you know, 35 years where the coal mining industry is gone. Mm. Very sad. Today we're going to do the other Valentine's Day horror movie that you might think of when you think of the holiday. Uh, there are a couple. Carrie? That take, what's that? Carrie? Carrie, yeah. There are a couple that take place around Valentine's Day. But this one has it right in the name, just like My Bloody Valentine. And it's called, quite plainly, Valentine. It's just right out there for you. If you don't know what it's about, by looking at the uh, extremely late 90s, early 2000s poster artwork, and then also the title, then I don't know how to break it to you, but you might have a low IQ. Because <laughs> if you can't figure that out from those two things... I feel like we're taking a step back from like the progress we were making from like late 90s slasher films. Mm-hmm. You think so? Yes. 
Why? Why why do you say that? Because, like, Urban Legend had some thought, you know, behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the whole premise. And then I know what you did last summer, though, as we reviewed on here. Not that great of a film, but, you know, kind of got, like, a slightly original idea. Here we're just going back to, let's just have a have a Valentine's Day centric. Put a uh, put a holiday in there and just call it a day. That's right. You know, go back to the eighties. We're still keeping those, you know, Kevin Williamson scream roots with like the killer being cloaked in black. We're just, you know, Valentine. I mean, this one though, Valentine has a lot of. Uh, homage to many of the 80s horror films that inspired it. So slasher movies, it's got a ton of like references to them and smart little lookbacks um, that I think might set it apart from some of the other, you know, slasher films that came out at this around this time frame. And, and, and a lot, I mean, we talk about some of the big names like Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer, Urban Legend, but there were a lot of other ones that came out that were like, hit and miss and, and died off really quick. Um, and Valentine is actually one of those that sort of hit. This was early 2000s, 2001. Uh, it hit really quickly. I had David Boreanaz in it uh, as a big name, um, really fresh off Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. And um, Catherine Heigl in a really early role for her uh, showing up, one that I, I assume she's not too proud of since she didn't want to return to... Uh, do any of the extra extra features on the uh, Screen Factory Blu-ray. Um, and Denise Richards also makes an appearance. So, you know, it had, a, it had big names in it. People that, you know, Yeah, but Catherine, I was saying, Catherine Heigl wasn't big at the time. No, not at the time. But um, surprisingly, her agent did worm her way into getting top billing in the film. No, that was Denise Richards. Or, oh, Denise Richards was top billing? Oh, yeah. I thought it was Catherine Heigl. No, no. She's was... up there too, though. Catherine maybe, Heigl's maybe, up there too. Maybe in modern times, because I don't think most people look fondly back on Denise Richards, because we all kind of look back now like, how did Denise Richards get... Oh, that's how she got top. Mm. That's how she, you know. But, uh... For I, thought, God, I was I... say, for God's sake, she was a Bond girl, and it's one, she's one of the most depressing Bond girls ever. <laughs> I thought Catherine Heigl was top billing, but uh, she's up there too, even though she's <laughs> really... She's like the Drew Barrymore... Of um, this film, you know, really. Maybe big, she, big I mean, I was going to say, maybe she had more. It's an early, definitely an early. I mean, I was going to say, maybe she was like, you know, known. I don't know. Like, I just know her from like Knocked Up. Mm-hmm. I know she was on Grey's Anatomy too for a while, but that was after, you know, this. So, yeah. And that's still, for some odd reason, 20 years later trucking. She has like, a, she has a reputation in Hollywood for being a bitch to work with. And, uh, you know, you can't see that from just watching Valentine, but with the stuff that's happening after it and the context, you can kind of, you know, get that feeling, especially not wanting to come back. Denise Richards came back to talk about Valentine, a couple of others. I don't think David Boreanaz did for, for it, but um, Catherine Heigl. She's too busy waiting on a Buffy re- you know, reboot. That's right, yeah. Um, but Valentine from 2001. The, gl- the glory days of UPN. <laughs> Valentine from 2001, it sort of hit, and then it kind of disappeared. And I think it disappeared for quite a while. I remember... um, I don't even remember it. I do remember it, because I remember distinctly going to Video World, which was our local VHS DVD rental store. Uh, Going to Video World um, had to have been around that time. I think it was like maybe a few years after I had released, maybe. And I saw it in Video World. We were going camping on a camping trip, but... 
that camping trip did have a portable DVD player. So I was How allowed much that to cost? rent four hundred dollars. No, no, actually, not too bad at the time. But I was allowed to rent one a few videos to take on the camping trip, which is sort of, I would, you know, that's kind of the anti-camping trip, right? Like we got an electric hookup and we popped in the portable DVD player and uh, watched Valentine. But I do remember that distinctly that I took it on a camping trip and I watched Valentine in a tent. Um, don't think I thought too much about that, I too. And I was only, like, what, 2001? I was only, like, 13, maybe 13 years old at the time watching that. And I don't think I I didn't feel too, uh, you know, I didn't like it that much at that which time. Which would be, you know, which would be surprising because you were big into Buffy. I was. So the fact Buffy. that David. Probably that's why this film stood out to me say, at like, all. Like, oh, David Boreanaz. Yeah, that's right. It's like, he got to have sex with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Buffy. That asshole. Then he went evil for a while. <laughs> Fucking David Boreanaz. You got another beer over there for me? Or no, I... Did you bring one down for me? God damn it. No, because it costs too much, so I sniped. Yeah, that is true. That's I, true. I, sniped, I sniped the extra, sorry. Hey, let's take a break <laughs> real quick. <laughs> and I'm going to... I swear to God, I'm gonna, I, the last time I didn't insert an ad, and I said I was going <laughs> to insert an ad. This time... I'm going to try to get one in here. I'm going to try to get somebody else's podcast or something in here. So uh, let's take a break real quick. We'll come back and we will talk about the beer that we've got on the show. Stay with us. Hey there, neighbor. It's me, head librarian Gavin. I co-head librarian the Red Light Library, that erotic-only library off 2nd Street. Yeah, you know the one. Hey, did you know we're running a podcast now? That's right. And the thing is, we're reviewing the worst erotica we can find online for money, and I've been reading about a lot of weird things banging lately. Like, I could just sit here and tell you about the snowman, the leprechaun, the psychic Utah raptors that start an orgy, the questionable lesbian with the applesauce scene that's really disgusting, and oh, the Donald Trump. Or you could just listen yourself. Use your favorite podcatching app or look us up on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. We're all over the place. The Red Light Library. Search it. You'll get us. Now for why I'm really here. Can I borrow your chainsaw again? We've tracked down an overdue book in someone's car and we need to retrieve it with, shall we say, extreme measures. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed that ad that I'm definitely inserting into this episode. Um, you're a great salesman, by the way. That's right. Yeah, here's some ad. Here's an ad. <laughs> here's an ad people paid us to put on the show. <laughs> I'm joking. No one pays us. <laughs> so we just take it for free. Yeah. All right, but uh, we're going to do some beer talk on the show today. You were in charge of picking up the beer today. That's right. So you stopped in and you got what? A brand we haven't had, I think we've only had like twice on the podcast. And maybe once or twice. Uh, it's not one that I generally fancy, not because it's not good. It's because they're so goddamn ridiculously priced. Yeah. Um, Californian priced. Yeah, fancy the, price. Yeah, the California price. And no, I'm not talking about Stone. I'm talking about the other one, Dogfish Head. That's right. Dogfish Head. One that I haven't been to. I'll say that. Do they have a brewery out in San Diego, or is it just uh, like in San Francisco? Well, I've been to both, so but I didn't get to Darkfish Head in San Francisco. Um, but they do. I I will say though, they are expensive, but they do make 
good beer. Great I, beer. I would say that I have not had a Dogfish Head that I didn't like. No, that's correct. But again, like me being Actually, a che- being a, I say being a cheap bastard these days, it's kind of like. I I actually think the only one that I didn't like is their 90-minute IPA. Was it the 90 or the 120? Can't remember now. One of those two was one that I didn't like because it was so... There's something about it that I didn't like. Might have been the 120. Maybe. It was just extremely strong. Like... Not like alcoholy strong, and I, it was not something that I loved. I, I'm pretty it. sure it was the 120 because they be. had that a couple of times at Beer Fest, which is coming up next week. Uh, could, could be next weekend for us. Um, mm. And it's the only time we've had it because I've only seen it. Last time I saw it around here in like cans or bottles was like five years ago. I see the 90 minutes still, but I think it was the 120 because you know I, I, I can actually tell you. I will tell you. Um, let me just look it up here, and I'll tell you what it It'd be was. Be great if this podcast was sponsored by Untapped. That's right. Um, I had. I want to say it was the ninety minute. Maybe. Nope. No, I'm pretty sure it's the one twenty. Because there was one that- year where every every beer that we were getting at Beer Fest was either like a triple, like a double triple IPA or a fucking Imperial Stout, and it was very overwhelming. And I think I think Dogfish had there that year had their one twenty there because it's like our only chance. Like, all right, this is our only chance, probably to try it because we're Wait. not going to probably go out of our way to get it. Well, you know what? It says I've had the sixty minute IPA. I know it wasn't that one. I'm I'm pretty. I'm almost positive it was the ninety minute Imperial IPA that I didn't. I didn't check into it, but I'm almost. I'm positive that it was ninety minute. I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Like I'm looking at the picture on the box. I'm. I'm pretty sure that it was the ninety minute. So I'm gonna go with ninety minute. Though, even though I didn't check into it, I'm pretty sure it was that one. That was the one that was just like. There's something about it. Just the Imperial overpowering. Uh, I don't know what it was, but too hoppy. No, it wasn't too hoppy. That's too not malty. Something about the malts, I think it was that that just threw me off. That's the only one that I've had that I didn't really like. The one that we have on the show today, though, is a new beer, and it's part of their Amer- American Beauty line. It's that's like I guess their Grateful Dead line, right? That's like the okay, it's got the dead head. Yeah, they're the making be- bear on it. It's got the bear. And that's pretty much all I know about Grateful Dead, to be honest with you. They play long songs. They're a jam band. Uh, They're on tour right now. Deadheads. And they have that little fucking bear that lots of people at our school used to wear. Oh, that, yeah. with uh, A lot of people. And a tie-dye shirt. A lot of people had the bear and uh, Grateful Dead skull patches out their book bags. That's pretty much all I know about Grateful Dead. If people don't know, um, where we live is up around Saratoga Springs. Saratoga, if you just live in the fucking area. Mm-hmm. And SPAC's up there, Saratoga Performing Arts Center. And Fish, Dave Matthews Band, and Dead and Company are the three... They're the big ones. Biggest fucking events around. I'll never get it. People go see them. I'll never understand it, because quite frankly, jam bands infuriate me. I... Think, I, I, I think I think Mike Campbell for saying during the Tom Payne, the Heartbreaker documentary, run down Dream for saying, don't bore us, get to the chorus. Kind of a great line to live by, because, I mean, I'll listen to, jam, you know, some jammed out music every now and then. I don't need to listen to, like, a 30-minute version of Whipping Post. When I saw Allman Brothers live, I'm like, I know two of the songs they played. 
When we saw My Morning Jacket at Americana Rama Fest, it was like... They played like two songs it was 30 minutes. Yeah, over an hour. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. I don't fuck. Yeah, I don't, I don't like jam bands. And that's pretty much all I know about Grateful Dead. Um, so like, I know I, I, I do like their st- like same thing with like the Almond Brothers. I do like their studio stuff, yeah. but like to me, like their, the live stuff is just tedious. I don't, mm. I don't need to listen to Bob Weir and Jerry Garcia. See, like, every single person in the band take yeah. a solo. Every and they every got song. Like, and the fact that when they're on tour, they have like three different percussionists <laughs> performing. That that would be up your alley. The fact that they have three no, different know, percussionists, yeah. like you know, yeah. fucking like three different drums, so shaking along there. Um. So that really, I don't go out of my way to get the Dogfish Head beer, American Beauty, just because it's a Grateful Dead beer. Um, but I have had the American Beauty, which was, I think, the original, the Pale Ale, was like the original. I don't American know how many they, of them they have, yeah. but I, do, I have seen like the original one. Yeah, I've had that one, which is pretty good. It's a nice Pale Ale. I, as you know, if you've listened to the show, we, we expound upon Pale Ale styles. We like them because, you know, they're a, a niche area where you don't go too far into the IPA style and you know they're they're they they take some uh an IPA you can just throw a whole bunch of hops in there and call it an IPA. Pale ales take a little bit of nuance, a little bit of style. So we definitely like those. Um so then now Dogfish Head has taken that American beauty a step further and they've made um the Hazy Ripple IPA. I'm sorry, I had to look at the can for a second because I couldn't remember the full name of the uh, actual beer. The and Hazy to, Ripple IPA. And to be honest with you, I grabbed it because the the color scheme. Very eye-catching. The bright yellow and pink and magenta. It's nice. It's very eye-catching. It's very so was like, millennial pink. I was walking by and I saw like whoop and you know, had yeah. Took a stop, walked back, you know, did a little moonwalk. <laughs> you actually had, like, the the effect of, like, being drawn into it. Yes, and wow. I was like, oh, what's that? I haven't seen that one. I'm like, oh, so they got the American, okay. I can see how that is, though. It's and like, I was looking at it, and I was like, Hazy Ripple. I'm like, okay, so it's. I'm assuming that's them gussying up a nightbook, because they don't want to call it a nightbook, because yeah. they're out in, in California. California, they yeah. call it a Hazy. Ripple. Hazy. And then after reading, they're so, they are kind enough to... Tell you like what you to expect well, you eat with it, and just like the rogue um, private reserve Santa's mushroom cap, they have fucking obnoxious foods on there. Yeah, they also use spelt in this beer, which is just so quirky. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are sage scented cookies? Exactly what they sound like. <laughs> like, like what, like medicine shop are you coming out of? Like, by the way, you know, like you, what dispensary? Like, oh, have you tried these sage scented? Co- the essential oils or and uh, avocado tossed salad. Like, <laughs> uh, like, oh, I told you, it's it's the can is definitely millennial pink. It, <laughs> that's a thing, millennial pink. That's that's a. It's like millennials are just drawn to that pink color. Millennials are killing off the the uh, maroon industry. I don't know. <laughs> we need more violets. <laughs> That's right. So this but, beer is a Nipa, though they they ha- hesitate to call it that in California. It's a New England IPA style. I'm t- like I said, I've said it a thousand times. They just need to get Pick together, one nomenclature, and yeah, go with and it. stick to it. You're not. Yeah. Somebody beat you to the wheel. Uh, beat you to. Just let New England have this one. They have I, Stephen King, and now they have New England mm-hmm. IPAs. Just let them have it. And clam chowder. Nipas are so, like, roll, rolls off the tongue pretty easy, too, you know? It's a Nipa. 
I mean, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine with having it be two, either Nipa or Hazy. You know, they can be both of those. Yeah, you know. right. But That's like, fine. oh, this one's a milkshake Nipa, or oh, yeah. Know, when you get into the more distinctive, like <laughs> we put lactose in yeah, this one. Just, it's still a Nipa. Yeah, just it's lactose. Just yeah. Pick one. No, I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, you don't like the all the milkshakes and the. No, I mean I like I do no, like the like the, 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 the style, style yes. but you don't like having the distinction like because it's just. I think the milkshake just denotes there's lactose in it, so it's a little. Well, that bit makes sense. Like, I think I think a milkshake makes sense, but again, like hazy Nipa, you know, uh, all the different word, you know, hazy tropical, just tropical IPA. Yeah, just like pick pick something. Yeah, like, like I said, Nipa rolls off the tongue. It's a nice little acronym. Bam. The other thing about, so like NIPAs are, as you know, as we struggle to get through them on the podcast, they're hard to describe in a meaningful way where you're like, it tastes like this. It'll, we always come off saying it's, it tastes tropical. It tastes like fruity. It tastes, it's got very tropical fruit flavors to it. And that's pretty much how we <coughs> characterize a NIPA every single time that we do one. And to be fair, that's exactly how it tastes, but it tastes a little bit different than that. And it's just the the juiciness. The nature, level. yeah, the juiciness, the nature of the hops that are in it. It's de- definitely different and it has a tropical citrusy flavor to it. But I would say that this is um just a slight variation on a Nipa, and I think it's really, really tasty, very juicy. Um the hop flavors are not overpowering. Sometimes in a Nipa, the hop juiciness the hop flavors can overwhelm the juiciness and so you get that immediate splash of like fruit flavor at the forefront and then at the end you get like a very heavy uh hop backbone to it in this case it's all very well balanced together you get the tropical nature you get the hops together and it's not overwhelming on either end to the palate i would concur this is right now i know it's early in the year this is probably my favorite beer of the year. It's a really, it's an excellent in, style. In my head, I'm thinking of like 2005, 2006, the Baja Starburst ca- uh, commercial where okay. the guy's like, hey, it's like having a fiesta in your mouth. And you're seeing all and the like right. the mariachi <laughs> players like da, 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 playing around, you know. So you can see this one being your spring beer, your summer beer, your boating beer, your mowing beer. Yes, it's uh, like, again, Versatile. I think because you're right. It's kind of hard to describe a night because they're all going for the same thing. It's, yeah. Tropical pineapple, yeah. mango, sit, you know, they just definitely have those ju- like those juicy citrus flavors. Yeah. And I think what differentiates each Nipa, excuse me, is how well they balance that hoppiness with that fruitiness and then like that juicy bite to it. Mm-hmm. And this one has a great extremely juicy bite to it. Mhm. You definitely get like the hints of pineapple, the hints of mango, the tangerine, all of that into it, and it's just like again, it's like like if you were like watching a commercial in the mid two thousands for Starburst, and like you know, or like Capri Sun, yeah, yeah, that's what it's like. It's very good. Wasn't there a the commercial se- uh, for like Capri Sun or something where they exploded into mm-hmm. literal Capri Sun? Yeah, they were like <laughs> liquid, was, liquid silver, they, like, just like you know, flying. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah like the, the secret world of Alex Max or yes, thing. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Man, that was a thing. <laughs> but that, yeah, so, and it's seven percent. It doesn't taste that heavy at all. 
Oh, is it seven percent? Really? Seven, I was going to ask that if you could read off the alcohol content. It's seven yeah. percent. It with how like delightfully refreshing and juicy it is. I would say it's like sessionable almost. Yeah, it is really. Um, I love it. It's great. It, this is probably one of my favorite nipples I've had in a long time. That's why I was hoping for a third one, and you stole it on me. That, that's why I did because it's it's that. <laughs> I damn, was hoping for a third one. It's that and damn I didn't good. Get it. And I'm kind of, you know, and when I bought it, the guy asked me, like, do I need my receipt? He didn't ask me how much it costs when I uh, swiped my car. He's like, you want a receipt? I said, nope, because I didn't want to know the price. I didn't want to, you know, be scared off. I know. Because I guarantee it's probably $18 for a six-pack. Probably, yeah. um, After tax and deposit. It's real tasty. But it's worth it. This is, like I said, right now, I know it's early in the year, by far and away, Best beer pad so far this year. It's going to yeah. be hard to knock this one off. Definitely tasty. I had a um, Zero Gravity Madonna yesterday, which is an Imperial IPA. Um, basically a, it's basically an IPA. It's a fruity IPA. It's pretty good, but this one is better for sure. Definitely tasty. Look out for this one. I, I think say, it's pretty it, new. It's um, I would compare it favorably, uh, favorably to because uh, one of my favorite IPAs I'd say is like a Sloop's uh, Juice Bomb. Uh-huh. It's up there. Okay. You know, it's, yeah. I'd say this is better than that. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I think it's better than the Juice Bomb. Yeah. I've had the Juice Bomb quite a few times. I think this one is better. Yeah. Yeah. I concur, but I'm just saying, like, like on uh, comparability, that's like the one of the beers I'd say I can yeah. compare it to yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah. Possible. They made him look as stereotypical as possible. They gave him the rapist glasses, the bloody pervert nose, little homage, I'm assuming, to Japanese anime. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, the holstered up pleated chinos like he's Urkel. Yeah, they, they did The big buck teeth. The whole nine yards. They're just like, you know what? No, don't have sympathy for this kid because no, he's a freak. Not, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> not at all. No. Don't have sympathy for him at all. You remember that weird kid that was at school? This is like all of them combined into one. We kid. couldn't see it, but he probably smelled too. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 wanted, they wanted to be a little bit more uh, implicit than having like literal stench. Uh, like, clouds. Yeah, the clouds coming off him like pig pen and uh, peanuts. Um, yeah. So th- He even has like the pocket protector, you know, yeah. pens. It's a very stereotypical opening. Takes from uh, My Bloody Valentine as well, because there's a Valentine's Day dance in My Bloody Valentine. And that's whole that's like what sets in motion the whole uh, thing about Harry Warden coming back, because there's a val- Harry Warden's like, Valentine's Day? Val- you're having Valentine's Day? <laughs> well, fuck you, you're not. <laughs> and that's My Bloody Valentine. But uh, John Saxon was in My Bloody Valentine, right? No. Oh, I'm thinking of no, he was Black Christmas. You just wished he was in Night Bloody <laughs> I was just hoping for every 70s slasher film, he, it, he would, he early was in 80s, it. that he's yeah. just the grizzled veteran you know, yeah, you detective. you wish he was in it, no. But yeah, this the opening to, to Valentine is really stereotypical in the fact that it's setting up, in it's setting in motion a very, very well-used motif of there's this guy, he was, you know, ostracized in school, um, and in this case, he definitely was set up, you know, to take a fall because he does make out with Dorothy, who was in, um, I guess we're talking like 
middle school, elementary. I don't know how exactly I, how old they are. They but. said sixth grade. So like, so for them it'd be middle school. Middle school. We didn't have that here. Yeah. <laughs> so middle school age kid, uh, he does get set up because he's you know he's trying to make out with Dorothy. And they he do. is. He is. And don't say he's trying to. He does. Ultimately, she reneges on that and says, "Oh, he made me. He forced me to. He's he practically a, raped me. He's a <laughs> he he's a pervert." Yeah, they just yell "pervert." At pervert. Yeah. Which I want to know what he did before that made him like be a pervert. Was he like ja- they catch him jacking off in like a bathroom stall? Or? Is that whole nosebleed situation from the from the anime? They, they saw him, yeah, like, his yeah. nosebleed, and they're like pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Because they, they were keeping up on, like, oh, Mr. That Roshi. really, really weird touch added to Valentine. That he just it is, because randomly that, at. Because that's at, not a Western thing. That's, yeah, that's not, it's not a Western thing at all the, the, to get the nosebleed when you're, like, extremely horny. Um, you know, I guess the idea is that what blood rushes to your head. So you're, you get a nosebleed because there's such an extreme blood rush that you're, like,. Fuck! <laughs> Where could it go? It can't be. T- it's there's too I much used blood. To, I used to. I used to say. I used to know like what the, the reason actual for, reasoning. But I, I, off the top of my head, I, I don't. I don't really know what the reasoning is. But it just seems weird because Cause I know, always thought that was weird. In, like Tenchi Muyo as a kid, like huh, how come Tenchi's dad's always getting randomly getting nosebleeds? Nosebleeds. Yeah. Oh, because it's all these fucking busty women, you know, whoring around with Tenchi. Yeah, that. I mean, I just don't. I don't get the like the actual physiological. I think that might. I think that might be the reason because it's like oh you know like oh <laughs> so much blood rush yeah. but i mean at the same like i said it's but i used to know but off the, if off the top of my head i you think uh do you think those guys that get nose nosebleeds from getting horny also have like small penises because you know your blood rush generally goes to the penis to inflate the penis so if it's not inflating the penis and it's going up to the nose like there's not that much to inflate I think it's just more general. They're I'm just, just, I'm just joking. They just, just mix, just, just, just so excited. It's got to go just everywhere. A, just a joke. But it is weird in Valentine that it shows up as like a, a central idea of like this. This cues you to the the killer, and it actually makes a really big, uh, entrance at the end of the film, the conclusion of the film, where you have the killer, and then the film throws another little one eighty at you, like wait a second. Is that the killer? Um, they kind of go and give you another twist there. So it, it actually, like that nosebleed, what seems like it's not really that important, actually becomes a really important part of the film later on uh, at the end when you're watching the conclusion. Um, so that that whole opening sequence, um, really generic, like extremely slasher film-esque. And yet... I feel like that's intentional. Do you feel like that opening moment of like, hey, <laughs> signaling this is a slasher film? You think that's intentional? Do they do that on purpose, or or is it to a detriment of Valentine? I think it's both. I think it's intentional, but at the same time, now that it's been twenty years since it has, it just doesn't age well. Mm. Even if it is intentional now, like like because the way it's kind of shot and looks overall, it just comes off as. Overly corny. It's definitely tongue in cheek, and I feel like the they at least got the '90s school dance right. Yeah, the benches, you know, like that. I'm pretty sure it's the same gym that the climax of the faculty was shot. That's in, right. Yeah, you know. That's right. Uh, but no, I, I I can see that. But like I said, at the same time, I don't think it's well executed enough to where it's it mitigates that. Hmm. I think it's fine that I think they were doing it kind of tongue in cheek, but at the same time, I don't think they did it 
well enough to like for it to be endearing over time. Mm. Maybe back th- in 2001 when we were coming off, you know, a roll of, you know, slasher films in that vein and in that style, it was kind of, oh, you know, it's kind of kind of being like Scream, being tongue in cheek. Now, I think 20 years, because like I said, I, this is my first experience with this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes off as kind of just overall, like kind of hokey. Like, even if you are doing a tongue in cheek, it's still like, oh, you know, a little. <laughs> By 2001, you kind of missed the boat. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think it works, you know, it sets it up and I think that there's enough homage to other films where it seems like there's an intentionality to it, but I could see how it, you know, watching it now, you might not recognize the intentionality to it. You might see it just as, you know, playing it up. Especially if you're like seriously. a newer, if you're like a younger, like, you know, like a Gen Z kid mm. who didn't grow up through the nineties. Right. I think the intentionality on it, that, that'd be totally lost on you. Yeah. Like, what is this hokey bullshit? Then you have the whole, uh, almost like scream lead up to um, Valentine the film because you you get a uh, non protagonist, Catherine Heigl. Uh, her character is really not a part of the film whatsoever. She's the Drew Barrymore of this film, and the film spends quite a bit of time. I would say like probably like what ten minutes with her, you know, actually setting Catherine Heigl up. Um, she's actually on a on a date. With uh, Jason, that's like like a whole twenty five minutes yeah. segment too. I, how, what's that? It's like a whole twenty five minute segment too. It's not whole, twenty. I don't think it's twenty five. It, it feels might it, feel like that. It feels like the yeah. whole date, and then going, you know, going like through what's going on. It feels like it's the 20. date with Jason is pretty awesome though, because it, it's hilarious. What? A total, total. This is where this film fails. That should have been Matthew Willard. Yeah, they should have gotten Matthew Willard in that part, and that's for sure. I mean, there's two roles that Matthew Lillard should have been in this film. That's one of them. Yeah. Because he's obviously playing up like a Matthew Lillard-type character. Yeah. And this is Matthew Lillard in his fucking prime. You can't get him to come in to be like, yeah, I'll be this guy who refers to himself in the first person like he's fucking Bob Dole. Oh, Jason. Jason does. Jason wants this. I think, I think my favorite part is when he opens the check and he's like, Ooh, oh, movie expensive. <laughs> It's great. I think he's <laughs> divvying it up. Like, you know what? I'll give no. I'll give props though, because she's already telling him like, no, I'm not gonna fucking do yeah. it. You know, go any further than this awful first date. So if I were him too, I'd think, you know what? Look, if you think this date's awful, yeah, you yeah. know what? We're going Dutch. Ooh, we're splitting that you bill. You know what? You also mm-hmm. got the crab. Yeah. So. <laughs> I got the chicken yeah. and the salad. You got the salmon and the crib and goot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Expensive. No, I, you know what? No, that's, that's smart on his part. Cause like I said, that he knew that date wasn't going any yeah, further. To be fair, so, she, I mean, if, if, if that date's ending on the, you know, yeah. that first time and she's not accepting, you know what? Then yeah, go Dutch. Don't, I, don't be like, I'm going to take the hit. I actually, I actually agree with that. I mean, Clearly, they neither of them and had a great dis- time. And she was disgusted by that, too. Yeah. I mean, clearly, neither, neither of them had a great time. She was already calling it off, basically. Like, I'm not, you know, Interested there's, there's no all. interest here at all. No. So you're like, you know what? Let's split the bill. Yeah. I get it. Um, kind of, it's, it I mean, he's not attractive. Move, but. Uh, well, I was going to say, but he's not, you know, he's yeah. not doing it himself any favors, referring to himself in the first person. Jason. And, you Ooh, know. Jason Likey. Yeah. Jason Likey. You know, being ridiculous but no I, I can see like like you know all right cutting listen. your losses then. yeah just be like, right. yeah. you know. you're like well 
You know what? It you know expensive. what? If you're if you're if you're after the appetizer, you're going like, this isn't you know working out. You might want to go for the chicken and salad because you know what? You might be splitting that bill, so don't go with a fancy salad. She's a she's an up and coming doctor though, so she can afford it. Um, yeah, but the whole sequence, you know, that's quite a quite a long sequence, and it's um, so it's you know, scream like in its approach of barely here's Catherine re- Heigl. Let's see, you barely recognize that's Catherine Heigl. Yeah. Here's Catherine Heigl, you know, and then it sets her in like, you know, she's a doctor. She's in the morgue. She's doing all of her, you know, her morgue studies and things like that. Yeah. It seems which, like we're getting familiar with her. Which, which is weird, by the way. What fucking college, you know, med schools open up at night and like, yeah, just go ahead and have your way with cadavers. Just, yeah. You're not, you're not uh, observed at all. Yeah. Just like not observed at all. Just you like, know what? Yeah. I could really use a kidney for but, the black but, market. But, you know, you know, listen. Here's your project. The professor just throws out a body. Like you cut, you go, you cut this up. Cut it up. Yeah. Figure out what he died of, and if that's your final exam. You, you know. know yeah. They're that's like, mortician school right like, there. Uh, you know, cut in, remove the small intestine, sew them back up. We'll check them out later. It's, it's you might as well have the fucking coroner from L.A. Noir just show up. I'm gonna test for semen. There's no semen. Just constantly, what does it have to do with anything? Mm-hmm. But you, you, you get this, you know, you get this whole element of Catherine Heigl preparing everything, and then she's killed off, um, you know, pretty brutally at the beginning of the film, and um, that's a really a callback to like Psycho elements and and Scream and and all of the films that had that opening, you know, pe- person that you thought was going to be your protagonist, and then re, you know. Relooping back on itself and then starting over again after that whole thing happens. Uh, what do you think about that? Or how did you, you know, how did that factor into your enjoyment of Valentine? I mean, I think it would have been more effective as Denise Richards. Have Denise Richards be that role for Catherine Heigl? Because she's the big, you know, she's the biggest star at the time. Mm-hmm. Like I said, she was in Starship Troopers. Oh, you're saying like Catherine Heigl's not at this point is well, not like big I said, enough. Well, like I said, maybe she was, but like again, like from. I don't re- remember a damn thing about her until 2007, knocked up. Mm. No, I, so, agree. I, don't, so, I don't think she had a huge following the, at that time. So you, you're you're looking for more like well, because if they're doing the you know, if they're doing that homage, then Denise Richards would be the one to throw in there because right. who's you're, the biggest star? Yeah. Well, what was Denise Richards doing right before this? Fucking, you're, you're saying she like, was a Bond girl. I get it. Yeah, you're saying like Scream had Drew Barrymore, which was a. Uh, Definitely something that surprised people because you think Drew Barrymore is going to be your main character. Yeah. With Catherine Heigl, that doesn't work as much because she's not as well known. So you're not really, you know, if she dies, it's yeah. fine. And you know? that and that and the whole Wes Craven already did it. Yes, yeah, so I get what you're saying. She just doesn't have, an, you know, it's not enough star power there where you're when you're watching, you're like, oh, well, if she dies, you know, what's going to happen? You, you're it's more so like the fodder at the beginning of a. Any other horror film, which, you know, most horror films do start out with a murder. So somebody gets killed to set things in motion. And Catherine Heigl just happens to be that person. I get She's it. It's just so unfortunate. It's an homage, but it's actually like a contextual homage. Like, now that we watch it and look back, it's like, oh, Catherine Heigl's the first one to die? But at the time, she wasn't really that big. I, th- I think that's just like, you know, lucky happenstance. Yeah, right. That no, that's that, what I'm like, saying. You yeah. know, like, happenstance like, oh, that, you know. that actually occurred. Now she's, you know, bigger than when she was at that time. Yeah. Is she now, though? I don't know. <laughs> a little bit, I guess. A little bit bigger. Um, yeah, so that sets everything in motion, though. So you have, 
uh, your main character. It is who, an interesting scene, though. The uh, whole opening morgue in the, scene? In the court, yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- that is interesting, and I think it's done well enough. Um, like I said, though, I think it's just um, a missed opportunity if mm-hmm. they were going for the whole, you know, scream psycho Amish. Which Valentine clearly is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely going for that. Um, whether it succeeds or not is up to the viewer. So you have then uh, Marley Shelton, who is our main character. Um, Marley Shelton, now known with, that we've done a podcast on, is Scream 4. Although I didn't recognize her. And I've seen this film previously, too, and I, I've never recognized her. Well, she doesn't, like I said, like in Scream, Scream 4, she looks a lot like a, you know... Uh, Rachel Drench, you know, trying mm. to be uh, Barney Fife. Yeah, we and we just like I had seen Valentine, and then we just recently watched Creep Four, and I never put it together. And I, and I, I, ha- I was gonna say because I hate to say it. I mean, I know I'm sure she was kind of gussied up in Scream Four to look frumpy, mm. but like for like you know, that's even if that's not the case. Like, I think wow. anytime you're in like a deputy uniform, you look a little frumpy. Well, because yeah, it adds you know like the padding yeah. and stuff. But, I mean, still, it's kind of like compared to like how she looks in here. It's like wow. And also the ten her years hair is down di- quite yeah. a bit, you know, yeah. in this one and things like that. But yeah, I, d- I definitely did not recognize that. But interesting to note that she was in Scream Four, you know, years later. She, she was in a lot of horror. Uh, she was in. Uh, she was ah oh, fuck. <laughs> the goddamn um no, no need grindhouse. To s- don't need no need. Yeah, yes, uh, Planetary. Yeah, yes, she, she was, was in Grindhouse yeah. and uh, a couple of others. Mm-hmm. But I was like, so there's was, was a lot of uh, Scream Four stands out mm-hmm. to me as being like, what? I can't. I I, I just well, because I always wondered who played you know yeah Judy Hicks because I was like you know it looks a lot like you know Rachel Dredge and Amy Poehler and. It's not. Just didn't yeah, recognize her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's our main character, Kate, and she's actually one of the mean girls that, uh, you know, in our opening sequence, he wanted to dance with. And she said, no, you, you're gross. Uh, and so Pervert. she's, yeah, and she's still friends with most of the mean girls that were in that clique. And one of her friends was actually Catherine Heigl's character, who they do go to her funeral and recognize that, oh, wait, maybe she was, you know, targeted by somebody. Especially once they start receiving Valentine's Day cards that say things like, um, I can't remember the puns, but there's there's some nice little rhymey puns, limericks that they, they put in the cards. Let's just stab you in the neck. Something like, uh, you'll eat yourself or something like that. Send box of chocolates with maggots in them. That's uh, that's an old nice homage to My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, like the box of chocolates. Yeah, yeah, that is nice. Um, no, I don't understand how they got the maggots in the chocolate. You take a syringe, a large syringe, and, and you put a maggot in there, and then you just inject it right into that chocolate. No, I don't that, know because that maggot hasn't burrowed through that chocolate already. It's a good question. Sugar. It's a good question for the killer. How did you get the maggots in there? We're curious. Were you uh, just were you just scouring drumsters and like yeah. oh there's maggots? You know what I like about this whole that whole element of the f- initial stalking is the actual Valentine's Day cards because they are pretty clever and the, well designed. Like the, the whole desi- yeah, yeah, the design is really nice on those. Those are not that's a that's a good touch uh, in Valentine where Valentine you know you could always tr- you could chalk Valentine up to being you know a generic slasher film that came out in a decade full of slasher films 
But there are definitely nice touches in the film where you see some creativity being employed. And I think one of them is the Valentine's Day cards. I bet I wish they, they did a little bit more with those. You know, the stalking sequences are sort or of kind of focused up because they're very, yeah. they're very like, like kind of uh, slip, you know, slip shot. Like they just throw them in and like kind of focus on them for a second. Like you'd think like the detective that we have in this, who's a crack detective would be like, you know, holding on to them and being like, yeah, you know, like, oh, what's, you know, what's all these riddles and stuff? They're, you know, they're just kind of there in the scene and they're gone. And, and also, you know, the the detective, he's not giving a, given a lot of information either because the girls are holding withholding things, especially Dorothy, who is withholding the fact that, you know, she made up a story about her classmate that he assaulted her at the school dance. And, you know, so they're they're keeping things from him. But also, yeah, he's just not a good he's just not a good cop in mo in slasher film fashion. Because we talked about you know the ineptitude of cops in Black Christmas, and um, you know th- th- most of the time for you know screenwriting purposes. Unless mostly. John Saxon's on the yeah, patrol, uh, yeah. Unless John Saxon's there, you, 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 the police force. Even in much. a Nightmare on Elm Street, he's unable to keep Johnny Depp safe. So, <laughs> um, well, he did all of us a favor. <laughs> he knew the nightmare that Johnny Depp would become later in the year, so he's like, "Freddy, take him." Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so the cop's definitely bad. And, and also, you know, there's that whole great scene where he pulls Denise Richards aside and he's like, yeah, what are we going to do about this chemistry between us? No, you know? no. He said sexual tension. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't sugarcoat it. Don't, don't do about this PC it sexual up. tension. Yeah. This low rent Woody Harrelson looking motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> with a beer gut. Be like, Denise, what are we going to do about this sexual tension? I just love it, too, because in in true, like, nice guy fashion, he's not even swayed by the, uh, by fact, the fact that, that she's, she's just, like, you know, tells him off and walks away. He's just still just like, ooh, that's hard a nice ass. Yeah, yeah, she's just playing hard to get. She, well, she doesn't have one. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying from his perspective, because you do see him <laughs> kind of, like, tilt his head sideways and be like, ooh, you know. There's that whole sequence. So, uh... It, I mean, it's funny. It's it's good. I, I like those additions of like little shots of humor that is thrown into Valentine. It gives it a little bit more um, they, personality. Would, they would have been better served off with just having Detective Kincaid from Scream Three make like a cameo in here and being like, you know, head of the LA police, you know, looking for this guy, being like, not another one. That's true. They should have just had him come in, or have Deputy Dewey. Deputy Dewey coming on in. Um, so see, the, we get we get to see how he rises to sheriff. That's right. Know, that, that's that's the story that needs to be told. So the film sets up all of this, and uh, you know, it gives like a sort of a red herring of J M, who is the killer, and so J M obviously stands for the same initials as the kid in the original dance that we see at the beginning of the film. Uh, Jeremy Melton. Um, but then I could have swore at the beginning they said his name was Jason. I don't think so. I think you're just getting that confused with Jason, the guy that was at the beginning. I know, but I could have swore they were saying his name was Jason. Yeah, I don't know. For a while, I was like, what the fuck are they, you know? But they, they set that up, you know, and they give you red herrings. So there's another guy with a JM, which is Catherine Heigl's, you know, Bo J- Jason. Um, and so there's all a, bunch of, a whole bunch of red herrings in this film. Um, with the main thing being who, what, what really is 
the identity of the killer being Jeremy Melton because no one really knows what he looks like anymore. You know, no, it's been ten years. Yeah, he could have changed completely. He's good. You know, the, 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 the goddamn very co- nice the co- uh, computer, computer simulation. Simulation, yeah, that that looks you know real close to Jeremy Melton. But they're like, but also the cop is like, you know what? That's not even taking into account plastic surgery. So, you know, he could be completely there. Who knows? You know, he could be anybody. He could be me <laughs> with a bald head, 50 years old. Um, but uh, yeah, so they set this all in motion. And then the film really kind of takes off from there. And um, there's a whole bunch of just, you know, brutal kill sequences. And uh, it works through. Uh, to this val- it leads up to this Valentine's Day party that Dorothy is throwing. Um, Dorothy being uh, the one girl who actually said that Jeremy Melton assaulted her. So she has the most to lose. Yeah, right, exactly <laughs> the most to lose, and she's like seems to be the reason why this is happening. You know, they're whoever this JM is, they're coming for revenge on this mean girl clique. Well, to be fair, to be fair, was Robert De Niro one cent good fellas. Even if she didn't say that, they all would have been fucked either way because he was getting dumped with that punch and called a pervert either way. So that's true. That's true. Um, which, which, by the way, where are those boys that were there too? Because there's like four different, three. He doesn't four. care about them. He's just like, eh, whatever. So those kids, they're they're failures anyway. A couple of them are in jail. Uh, it's just those women that all they all grew up to be pretty blondes. Yeah. So I, I think Valentine has um, a few intricacies that make it stand out a little bit from other films. You know, the, the main idea is that this film doesn't really have much of a plot. You know, it's not really working towards anything in particular. Um, except people dying. Yeah, and except for, like, a Valentine's Day party, which is Dorothy's party that she's throwing. Other than that, though, there's really not a whole lot of plot to it. There's not, like... Um, Random stupid things that would, people would have done in the nineties, yeah, in early two thousand, like like thirty second speed dating, and yeah, you know, there, yeah, there's a lot of speed dating. There's, there's the thirty second speed dating that um, Marley Shelton goes on. Then there's a VHS tape service that uh, her friend gets delivered to her, where you know suitors send her a video of themselves, like I really liked you mm. and what I saw of you, and this is me. And they, they actually do, like, an entire video of it. And, and you like I was saying, you really have to be interested in a person in order to sit down, film yourself, you know, cover the cost of postage, send it to them in the mail. That's, that's commitment. That's like, that's, like, reality TV show commitment now. That's, like, what people do now with, like, Big Brother and Survivor. They, like, take them, tape themselves being a character and send it into Big Brother or Survivor and hope they get on a reality TV show. Back then in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s, that whole, you were looking for love. That whole speed dating thing is like straight from like 40-year-old virgin. Yeah. I know 40-year-old virgins later, but like that's what that reminded me of is like just sitting down and like all these ridiculous assholes going to be like, I just I date you. You're so pretty. It's too bad that. And just uh, being like, oh, this is fun. It does seem kind of fun in a way like where you can meet people and potentially get sick from all the people you're meeting. Just sitting there like pounding like vodka tonics. Like, yeah, yeah. you're going to have fun. And yet she, Kate is already in a relationship with David Boreanaz. So why is she even speed dating? Because you know what? 
David Boreas is a little off the rails. He is a little off the rails. Not only that, but I, I would assume that for uh, Kate, he's a little bit boring because, like, he's a recovering alcoholic or what he is, what he presents think, as a recovering alcoholic. I don't think it's that. I think he's just generic big jack dipshit. He's just very, he looks like he looks like you're very prototypical. I think David Boreanaz like plays like the tight same, end. I think he plays like the same type of character all the time. Like this character is basically Angel, just without the vampire tendencies and maybe like a little less mysterious. Um, because in this film, like he's basically playing the same part, except he's yeah. I guess he, has to have, have, he doesn't need blood. He yeah. needs he need, he needs vodka. Yeah, and he has a little bit more nuance, I guess, when he's you know, trying to pretend like he's in sobriety. Um, but yeah, I mean, he does play that very generic stereotypical, like sort of a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy character, um, like in the relationship. And the film does not do a great job at, at least early on showing that he's in sobriety. Um, there's that one one-off scene in the bar where she's like, I'll have a Corona. He's like, I'll have a club soda. And then she's like, I'll have a club soda too. And then, then you get that picture that like, oh yeah, maybe he's recovering. <laughs> um, but I do have to say, I love you so much. I want you to be at this bar with me. You know? Yeah. I do have <laughs> to say that Kate dating him. Enabling. Is, yes, she sucks. <laughs> Maybe don't invite him to a bar. Maybe don't invite him later on, to, you know, when she gets mad at him because he has, like, he just downed champagne. He's, like, popping him back. Maybe don't invite him to a party where the primary thing to do is to drink. drink and listen to, like, 2000s new metal. <laughs> because the lead, one, the, it, the one, lead, I say the leading cause of alcoholism exactly. is all these... One d- leads to the other, okay? <laughs> So don't, don't invite zombie face. Yeah, don't invite him to something like that. <laughs> you know, you know that you're, you know. That why David Boreanaz? Why are you drinking? I heard Dracula. I can't stop. Right. The first rule of sobriety is to cut out those things that remind you of drinking, and I assume new metal is one of the causes. <laughs> so, you know, you got to get rid of that. Can't go to a party where that's the only soundtrack. They're just playing Mudvayne on me. <laughs> yeah, and that, but not only that, the extras in the background are dancing to it in just distractingly bad ways. Um, you know, they're just like shimmying. <laughs> one guy's one guy's doing like Saturday Night Fever in the background. You have to watch for that because it is pretty distracting. You know, it's clearly like they said, dance. You know, there's, there's music a, going on. It's a party. Dance. Have a, have a good but time. there was no music. You know, just pretend you're having a good time. Yeah, yeah. And, and one guy was like, how do you dance? I don't know. <laughs> do, 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 do. Disco style. Uh, yeah, but that I do blame Kate in a way for, you know, for David... Boreanaz or Boreanaz is uh issues with drinking in this film, you know. I think it's because he just overall couldn't win Sarah Michelle Gellar's heart, so he's like It's true. Gotta keep going. It's true. Yeah. Move on. And it's hard to move on, Sarah Michelle Gellar. So you do what you can. And that's drinking. Who by this point in two thousand one has too much money and too much star power to be bothered with this bullshit. 
<laughs> I guess so. It's not too far removed well, from uh, from uh, I know what she did last summer. That's a good three, four years. Yeah. So that's you know, yeah. that's like five seasons of Buffy right there. Um, what? So the thing about Valentine, as we talked about, is that there's not a huge plot to it. You know, it just kind of moves through the motions. They have these just random setups to like all the yeah. stuff that they do. Yeah. That like for the most part are very tedious and innocuous. The whole like art exhibit bit is tedious and innocuous. There's like 10 different parties they go to that are just tedious and innocuous. Them just sitting around the house is just tedious and innocuous. Tedious and innocuous is probably getting tedious and innocuous from you. Yeah, well. I'm sure. <laughs> from it's, you saying it. Sorry. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that there's, like, a lack of plot to this, and that's not uncommon for slasher films. But in this case, like, it's, the film doesn't really seem to be leading anywhere. Well, because most films, if they don't have, like, a lot of plot, especially in slasher films, they're grounded in a certain setting. Like, for instance, Friday the 13th, Camp Crystal Lake. Right. Scream, the party at the yeah. end. Here, they're just all over the place. So there's no grounding in where the killings are happening. They're just all over the place. I do think, too, that there's too many characters. You know, you have the four main girls that are... And, are, you know, they the film tries to... spend. It's not like um, a normal slasher film where you have a bunch of people, but you're not spending a lot of time with them. A lot of them you know are just fodder. Like, they're just, you know, there to get killed off. And this film, it doesn't happen as quickly, so you have quite a few characters that the film tries to give you some more background on. Uh, so like Dorothy and her boyfriend Campbell. Um, and then, you know, the speed dating elements and the, um, and the fact, well, the fact that Kate's not pushed up to be like your final girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was, exactly. Yeah. You don't um, really know who a final girl is in this film. I I think it also, uh, does not help that everyone is, besides Denise Richards. is just these pretty thin blondes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all pretty thin blondes besides Denise Richards. So the whole character character dynamic between them, you know, very shallow. I do think that it's interesting that the film runs with like the sort of fat shaming of Dorothy, though, um, which is sort of in this in this film and what we get from cont- from context about her is sort of in her head, like a mental psychosis of people she thinks feel like she's still like a the fat girl that she was in when she was in sixth grade. And so she's sort of, you know, she's projecting that onto other people saying, you know, I know that you don't think I'm anything besides a fat girl, even though I'm extremely rich and I have a hot tub in a and at this my point, garden. And, and at this point, I'm 110 pounds. Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. She she has. I do think that the film is interesting in that scenario because um, it is exploring like the intricacies of being in a clique. And even when you're in the clique, you still feel like you're ostracized from the clique in some way or you feel like there's something about yourself. That makes you different from the rest of the people that are in the clique. Well, unfortunately, this film's not deep enough to explore the... It's very shallow. It doesn't go that deep, but I do think that it's interesting that it, it comes no, up. No, it's an idea, but yeah. I don't think I they didn't have the wherewithal to kind of, you know... Make to go it, with it. To make it like an actual it, deep it, theme. It, otherwise, like, yeah, it's nice that they kind of brought it up, but at the same time, if, if you're just bringing it up... And not doing anything with it, surface level. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's it's again, it's just like all the characters in the cliques, just shallow bonds with no real depth to them. I, I think it comes up too late in the film. 
because it well, comes up Well, because it's trying right to throw the, the red herring, which yeah. we get at the end. Yeah. It's like, but I think the film has, like most slasher films, has a problem with the red herrings because most of them don't make any sense. Logistically, they Log- don't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, especially with Dorothy, who a f- will you know, reveal. Five it, foot six, you know, yeah. 100 pound blonde. Not only that, but the logistics of her being able to make it within the Cupid outfit, get into the Cupid outfit, go kill the one rich girl that wears a shawl around her shoulders, uh, slam her into the shower stall door, and then get back to the party in her normal outfit with her friend Kate. Just the logistics of it don't make sense. And that's not also not um, out of place in a slasher film, but just, you know, it just it's, doesn't make sense. Um, Overall. Just thinking about it, yeah. Uh, and most of the time, like, the logistics of slasher films that don't make sense are things like, how did Michael pile all these bodies together? <laughs> or, you know, how did how did Jason have the time to, like, you know, put put all the bodies in traps and things like that and, and foresee them triggering these traps? In this case, you more have, you more so have, like, the thought that, like, how could Dorothy literally have done these killings like that so that just doesn't work as a red herring as much um i do think that it's interesting though that they do try to red herring and then there's like a lot of red herrings throughout this film there's just so many that you know they they sort of pile up a lot of the the elements of people with jm names are a big big part of the mystery that you know sort of just is is there i think another thing that the film doesn't do a really good job with is um controlling that that's mystery about the murder. It could be a kind of like a nice slasher slash shallow film if it had done a little bit more with the actual investigation of the murder and actually having that um, cop be part of the main part of the film. Could have had like a nice shallow twist to it. Um, I think I also think the whole uh, him hitting on Denise Richards it's really out of place. Pointless. Yeah. Uh, absolutely pointless because it, it doesn't go anywhere. They don't do anything yeah. with that. That doesn't really go anywhere, and it actually it feels really out of place for his character because throughout most, of I the think film, it's I think it's trying to set up that like oh he could be a killer, t- you know, yeah, killer maybe, too. Maybe, but yeah. at the same time, they don't go like he doesn't show up for another half hour after that. Yeah. So it's yeah, I agree. I think that's really out of place. I don't really like it in this movie just because. Um, early on, there's no indication that he's like thinking like that at all. I mean, he's he's talking to four young women and he doesn't make any indication of that and then later on you know then you get that whole element with diane richards that whole scene it just seems like it comes out of nowhere you don't you're not really led up to it you know maybe if he was making like little moves on the girls when he's talking to them previously but instead he's like being completely aloof to most of them like even when he's talking to kate he's like when kate says do you have any more recent pictures and he's just like you think if we had any, we wouldn't mm. be looking at them right now. Mm-hmm. Like, Instead, this computer simulates like oh, these fucking young girls. They don't know what they're doing. But then he was like, "Hold back, Denise. I want to talk to you." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just it just seems like it comes out of nowhere. So I, I would have liked it if they didn't go. And that's a very generic, stereotypical thing too. And like, all that, that too. They, I, I know it would have been very forward thinking back in two thousand one to be like male power figure trying to. But they again, they don't do anything with it. Yeah. So even if it's like a nice like. Go get him, girl. You know, thing. They don't do anything with it, so that whole yeah. messaging is bullshit to begin with. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying the message itself would be, but the fact that they don't even bother to explore it makes it, you know, just shallow. I also think that's really interesting that the film 
for like maybe 15 minutes looks in depth into Dorothy and Campbell's relationship, but it just seems like it goes nowhere. Like Dorothy gives him a really expensive watch and then they have, they try to have sex and he can't get it up. He can't perform. Uh, then he gives her a nice little, <clears throat> uh, necklace thing. Um, and, but makes it pretty clear that he doesn't really have any feelings for her whatsoever. And instead of like getting in the shower with her goes to the gym. Um, there's that. And by Jimmy goes downstairs to transfer her money, her father's money into his account. Yeah. That's a whole, you know, that scenario again is something that comes up really late in the film and doesn't really have bearing at all on the rest of it, especially because we know that this guy is not the killer because he gets killed very, very quickly after that. And so the film, I, I guess I'm just wondering why sometimes Valentine d- decides to explore these areas of the storyline that don't really lead anywhere, you know, because it seems like they could be good ideas if they had been presented earlier in the movie. But when they're so late in the film that there's really nothing else that can happen with them, uh, it seems like a waste of time. No, I agree. A lot of, a lot of the idea. I think they have a lot of ideas that they just. Kind of th- put they, they put out there, and then they yeah. just don't bother to. I think fully they explore. mainly just wanted to get a guy in the film named Campbell. It's such a douchey name, Campbell. When you hear that, you you do want to just murder the fucker because it just sounds so like you know bougie. It's Campbell. Hey, it's Campbell. Yeah, he's got that you know hey, like baby. late late two, uh, late nineties, early two thousands, like you know parted bowl cut. Going on. Yep. All right. Uh, since we're pressed for time here, we're gonna move on a little bit. What did you think of um, David Boreanaz's uh, golf shirt that he's wearing? At the- <laughs> the- Let's I, get to the really important stuff. I here. call it more of a bowling shirt. The bo- yeah, it's yeah, a bowling shirt. It's yeah, definitely like a bowling. Yeah, shirt. Yeah, it's like a league shirt that he's uh. wearing. Yeah, at the at the party, he shows up, and you're you know everybody's in their nice dress wear, wearing the finest. Flowing bowling shirt. And, I don't really know. Yeah, I don't like really know Chinos. what the official name for this is, but it's like the 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 shirts that Charlie Sheen wears. Yeah, all the I time, don't. I've like, always called them bowl- yeah, yeah, bowling shirts. Yeah, I did have a shirt like not like that, but a bowling shirt that was a similar dressy style back in two thousands. It's very gaudy looking. It's very large on him too. You know, it's that's yeah. one of the things that like we has not. Age well uh, from the well. yeah, from the two thousands is oversized stuff. You know, like like David Boreanaz is a pretty big guy anyway, so I assume he's wearing like a double extra large for that shirt. And yeah, it's just I love it. I, well, I love well, it. Well, to be fair, have you ever seen a bowling shirt that's proper fit? I think I think <laughs> no. I, I, think, I don't think I've ever think, seen a bowling shirt that looks good. For I think thing. as a requirement to wear one of those shirts, it has to be two sizes too big. They it ask has, you when you order it. When you order, you order a, like a medium, and they're like, Are you "Sure, like, yeah." Uh, my normal be. size is a medium. Yeah. They're like, then you want a large? <laughs> no, you want an XL. It's gotta be. Yeah. It's gotta, gotta be flowing. Gotta be pretty. You're big. gonna be bowling, so yeah. you need all that extra room. You don't want to be coming up on you know on your throw and have yeah. your rip a seam. You want to be flowing. Talking, we're talking the important stuff here on Blood and Micron Podcast. No, I, I, no, because again, because I think about it, like I don't think I've ever seen anyone, even our buddy Hody, he wears some sometimes when he's bowling, uh-huh. and it's never like a proper fit on it. It's like, and he, you know, it's always like a size too large, big, large size. Yeah, I, I think that's just the style, of, style of it. It's kind of like you know pleated pants. You got to wear them big and baggy. 
David Boreanaz in, in this film, though, is like ultimate 2000s. He's got that extremely spiky hair. He's roided up to the gills. <laughs> he looks like he could have been like a tight end in football. He or, does, yeah. Or like, you know, a DH in baseball. Just like, I'm going to crank home runs the entire <laughs> Got that Jose Canseco look going on. Like, yeah, hey, yo. All right. One thing specifically, though, that we didn't talk about that is important is um, the kills in this movie. Um, they are notably uh, brutal, where to the point where they some of them were, were cut down um, because of the content of them. So um, there are some deleted scenes that are out there where the kill scenes are a little bit more extended. They don't add a whole lot, and it sort of seems arbitrary as to what was supposed to be cut from the film. You know, things like you can only swing the iron twice instead of three times and things like that. Um, but the film does have some pretty brutal kills in it. Uh, what did you think of the, the, the brutality of the, the movie? Um, it's gruesome, but you don't, I, I, they don't show that much. Mm-hmm. So when Catherine Heigl gets her throat slit, we just see her face react as it's getting slit. We don't see the actual, you know, knife over the, you know, cutting throat. Same thing with him be- beating the one guy to death with the iron. We just see him swinging it. We don't see the actual um, kill. I I, I like I in all. I think the most gruesome we see is him uh, using a bow and arrow to kill somebody with it. But at the same time, we didn't get any gore from that. We just see him, you know, kind of plugging her a couple of times before she falls down a stairwell into the perfectly placed dumpster. I actually. Um, I think that the uh, lack of seeing some of those things are actually kind of nice, though. No, like, no, I don't think they're bad, because I, I like the fact that he's not using the same method to kill over and over. He's, you know, mixing it up. Yeah. I do like that, and I do think it benefits from the fact that we don't get to see the actual gore that it's kind of, you know, it's taken that's taken away. Um, so I, I do think that's actually one of the highlights of the films, is the creativity to the kill... And the fact that they're not overshowing mm-hmm. what happens. And mm-hmm. we said a billion times in the podcast, less is more. Yeah, I think that they did a good job, you know, just showing the aftermath or showing, you know, during it. Like Catherine Heigl's is kind of brutal because you just see her face and reacting to it. You don't actually need to see the knife enter. You can just see how she reacts to it. And that's kind of, you know, thrilling in itself. Um, the same thing is true of like... Um, I like the whole Denise Richards scene, the hot tub scene, which is sort of like dementedly brutal because of the way that it all occurs. You know, she's in a hot tub. He throws the cover over it. He starts drilling into it. Um, so you have the double the double horribleness of her not being able to breathe in the hot tub because it's closed in. So she's kind of boiling in the hot tub and not able to breathe. And then you have him drilling in there. So she's trying to avoid the drill. And then worst of all is after that whole thing happens and he's just like i'm done playing around so he just throws the drill in and electrocutes <laughs> her he's like uh, you know what this is too too much I'm, I'm done playing so we'll just get it over with now i think that's a pretty good you know brutal kill um that works really well in this movie um and, and the <clears throat> uniqueness of each kill really does make the film uh, go a little bit faster and, and, and allow you to uh, enjoy everything a little bit more so you don't just have stabbings or, um, you know, hack and slash, stuff like that. You get, you get a little variety. Just chasing someone on an iron the entire time. Yeah, exactly. You know, he doesn't have a, a specific manner of killing. It's, it's everything. I like that. Um, 
What else? What else do we talk about? Who the killer is? Killer. Film, as we said, really throws a bunch of red herrings at you. Uh, even up until the almost the end of the film, you do get the unmasking of the killer, which, you know, is a nice murder mystery touch. And it ends up being Dorothy, which you could sort of believe, except as we talked about, we kind of poked holes in the hole how that could literally be Dorothy doing all the murders. Um, but you then have that final reveal at the end, the, the last shot of the film that tells you probably who the real killer is. It's David Boreanaz. Dun, dun, dun. He did it. You get that nosebleed. That, that nosebleed that, you know, has been throughout the film. And every time he's killed somebody, he's had a nosebleed. So yeah. I guess it's been turning him on. It's that visual cue yeah. that tells you. So what did you think about uh, David Boreanaz being well, the killer? There's only two possible people that I think could be the killer throughout the film. He's one. Or Jason. Jason, the original guy. The... Yeah. So the fact that we don't see Jason throughout most of the film, you know, after that. Jason was just so pissed off <laughs> that he didn't get a date with Catherine Hyde. He didn't get a second date with Catherine Hyde. Well, I thought he could have, you know, he could have grown up to be like, you know, self-centered, like, you know, because mm-hmm. he got himself in shape and he's, you know, in this nice, you know, straight jawed and, you know. I mean, basically guy. he did that anyway. Yeah, no, but uh, my, my my point is, so it's kind of like that's the only two you really have to pick from. Yeah. And I think the fact that we hadn't seen Jason since the beginning of the film, it wouldn't make sense. You, usually your killer your killer's always hiding in the background. So, so you're saying that you pretty much foresaw it would be David Boreanaz. Yeah, but by, by halfway through the film, when you're kind of trying to weed out who the hell it's going to be, mm-hmm. you know... It's easy to see. And this one, it's kind of nice because uh, he is not concerned. You have your final girl, Kate. He is not concerned with Kate. He does not want to kill her at all. And at least, that we, no, least that we know of. Yeah, he makes no attempt to kill her. And even at the end, he says, you know, I, I couldn't hurt you. I love you. You know, I was, I, I've always loved you. And so, you like, that's kind of a difference between some, or other slasher films. Is that in this case, our final girl technically was not um, even on the shop. Yeah, she was. She wasn't at risk, and so like that's kind of nice. That's kind of a and 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 then you kind of add up the other kills that, and it makes sense. You know, David Boreanaz being at her apartment uh, kills the guy that's her neighbor that keeps rhyming with her name with everything. Uh, who's trying on all of her underwear? He kills her. He kills him. Kind of makes sense. Kind of like a little right Adrian Brody looking type. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that that makes sense. You know that he's doing all this and and uh, killing all, all all the people that might take her away from him. Now, is he really an alcoholic? Oh, so maybe he's just putting it faking on. the alcoholism and you know pretending. So he seems like he has more damage not, than he does. Yeah, he's not really he's not really crazy, you know, he's not really an alcoholic. He's just crazy, you know. I bet he is also an alcoholic. I think he's both. Probably. I think like he's an alcoholic. All that work he had to go through to get fixed, you know. Yeah. I feel like, you know, if you've gone so long and you didn't kill anybody and then all of a sudden you're killing people, but you're also trying to kick your alcohol fix, it's probably a connection there. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that there's a connection between him drinking alcohol and then him going on a murder spree. So he's like, sort of, you know, Blacking he's, he's trying to like not do this. He's like, I don't want to kill anybody. And then he has alcohol, and then he's like, Wee! Yeah. Yeah. And he goes on a ride. 
That's how I see it. Mm. I think he has both, you know. And so, <laughs> so then you're left thinking, oh, maybe he's a sympathetic character. So what did you think, though? Like, when you were look, looking at all the different red herrings and then... Hard for me to tell. I mean, I saw it a while ago, so I... I... I don't really, I can't really say that I had a, like an unbiased opinion of it right now. Well, even if it is a, a a biased opinion, where all the red herrings are, and then what happens? Do you think of that? Um, I think that it definitely <clears throat> makes sense that it's you know David Boreanaz's character. I think that, you know besides the logistics of it, Dorothy would be a cool character to have as the killer as well, and that'd be like an urban legend style like yeah. twist where it's like Ooh, it's a girl, you know, and, yeah. and with. Scream 2, but Scream 2 had, you know, two people, you know. Yeah, I a, I think that they could have gone an interesting direction with Dorothy being, and and gone with that, like, whole click theme of, you know, I still feel like I'm not good enough in the click, or that you you think that I'm not good enough. And so that was the motivation. I, I think that's an interesting idea. Um, You know, I think that what they ended up with, being David Boreanaz, um, was maybe too on the nose, especially because um, I guess the film at the beginning of the film really sets clear that it's going to be a guy. It's going to be whoever this dude is that was snubbed. At the, the only dance. way I think they could um, change that would be if, like, they were like you. You secretly find out like Dorothy was related to. Jeremy, like yeah. he was like my cousin. You drove him to man, or you know, whatever, something like that, something like that. Other, yeah. other than that, like it's, it'd be hard to picture anyone else. Yeah. All right. So, anything else uh, that you can think of that we didn't talk about for this film? I think that's about it. I think we pretty much covered it. Um, probably more than we could have, you know, generally covered about the film. Yeah. Yeah. First, yes, yell it as it is. <laughs> All right. So, out of um. Ten maggot cover maggot uh, <laughs> infused chocolates. What would you give Valentine? I'll give it a six out of ten. Okay. Um, kills are interesting. Um, has some interesting ideas. I don't think they fully execute on them. Acting very hit or miss. Our lead lady Kate enjoyable. Dorothy enjoyable. Denise Richards is fucking a plyboard as always. Um. I can see how this is a forgettable slasher film rounding up the the 90s, especially with the uh, remakes that were coming in soon after this. So um, there's not I, there's not much going for it, but I would say if you're into slashers, check it out. It's kind of like a nice little and, you know, capstone to the 90s slasher craze. Mm. Yeah, I would probably give the I I I actually enjoy Valentine. I I would give it like a seven and a half out of ten. I think it's um a kind of a fun film. It has a, like a lot of homage to um other slasher movies. Uh, like you have that whole Halloween sequence where the killer sits up. Um, and the funny thing was when that happened, as I said, I'm like oh, Scream Three because uh, our nice you know main villain in this reminds me so much of Roman from Scream 3 because yeah. jacked up on steroids, you know, so like, yeah. when that happened, I was thinking like, oh, you know, ripping from Scream 3. I mean, I think that they do have some nice <clears throat> homage to other films in here, so I like that quite a bit. Um, I think it, you know, it does for Valentine's Day um, what you expect it to do for a, a slasher film. Um, there's some nice, like, <clears throat> you 
know, how Halloween has, like, you know, obviously your oranges and your blacks. This one has your nice purples and reds. It's a nice Valentine's Day film. Um, I definitely like to watch it for Valentine's Day. I think it, I think it holds up pretty well as a, as a holiday film for you to watch, you know, just like any other that you have for all the other holidays of the year. Um, so I have a lot of fun with it. I think it's a, just a nice, fun movie. Um, got a lot of brutal kills, uh, and I think they work better because you don't see a whole lot. Um, I think this, this one was a sort of underrated when it came out, and I, I think people should check it out again and just, you know, if you haven't seen it, Check it out. See see what all the fuss is about. Um, you know, it's a fun slasher film. If you like the the uh, holiday themed slashers of the eighties, I think you'll like Valentine. It's a good time. All right, so that concludes our Valentine's Day episode, our special one that we we wanted to get get in here. What are we doing next? Next, we're doing. Um, so here's the deal. We have to do Harley Quinn and the Bonanza Extravaganza Birds of Prey thing, whatever that's called. Fantabulous. I know they changed the name of it, and it's just Harley Quinn Birds of Prey now. Um, is that what the original? Yeah. No, it's the name is uh, Harley Quinn and the Extravagant Fantabulous Birds of Prey, something like that. It's like extra, the Emancipation of Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, and the Emancipation. Of I Harley do Quinn, remember now that you're saying that. It's really does, ridiculously long that no one can remember. So I'll say that does. I'm pretty sure that they have just changed it to Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. Just to I, make it easy. I'm surprised they just didn't change it to Margot Robbie and Tits. <laughs> yeah. So we have to do that. Um, no, we don't. I think we do because we've done all the other ones. We might I don't well want to do see them bastardize Black Canary. Yeah, but I've heard that the birds of prey are actually not that not in it that much anyway. So why the fuck are they calling it birds of prey? Yeah, it's basically a Harley Quinn movie. But we have to do that because we've done all the other ones. We also need to do Parasite, and Parasite just won Best Picture. So it's really a toss up as to what we should do next. We're obviously going to do it next week. Maybe I'll throw up a poll and see what people think. Should we do Harley Quinn next? Ride that comic book wave. And maybe potentially see it in theaters because we might miss it if we don't see it soon. It's not going to get pulled. It's been out for two weeks. Yeah. Um, or should we do Parasite and do that one and, and, you know, do the movie that was just named Best Picture in the Oscars? So. Right. Isn't everyone just so proud of the Academy for finally? That's the first picture they've not, you know, that's one Best Picture that's a foreign film. Yeah. Right. Right. How, how, fucking nice of them yeah huh so we'll leave it up to that i'm not sure what we're gonna do yet but uh that'll be next week at some point um one of them so let's just do a tim and eric review yeah that's right yeah we could do that too all right so thank you for listening uh we will be back next week with a new episode uh you can find us on pretty much any other podcasting app that you can think of so we're on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher uh Podbean, pretty much everything. You can subscribe to us, leave us a nice review. Uh, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and black rum. We are also on Twitter at blood and black blood and black rum podcast. We are um we have a email address at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. And also we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash blood and black rum podcast. You can donate to us, help us out with all the hosting fees. Um whatever you can donate really helps us out. Thanks for listening. Hope you join us next time for a new episode. And until then, take care.